Good morning, Bandsman River Baptist Church. It is a joy to be with you this morning. Before we look at God's word together, can we come before his throne of grace and ask that he would give us help in understanding and applying his word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, these your saints gather before you this morning eager to submit their hearts to the truth and the authority of your word. These your dear saints are seeking for and longing to find here in the book of Ecclesiastes wisdom for living a godly life to your glory here under the sun. Won't you speak to us, O Lord, about that very subject today in our text? Give us ears to hear what it is that you're saying to your precious dear ones through your word. Make us so very aware that you are still in this day, in this age, in our time, even this morning, speaking personally and lovingly to each and every one of your people by your word. So we ask, O oh Lord, for ears to hear. I ask, O oh God, that you would help me be faithful to this, your word. We pray this together in Christ's name. Amen. Well, dear saints, your brothers and sisters at Reformation Christian Fellowship send you the warmest and most affectionate greetings. I'm Kenneth Diaria, husband to the lovely Delia, to Jeremiah, aged 19, playing cajon across the water at Reformation Christian Fellowship this morning, to Judah, aged 15, mixing the sound at Reformation Christian Fellowship this morning, to Eliza, aged 12, who is here, and lovely, Piper, aged 9, who is here, and lovely, and Edith, aged 7, here, and lovely. And for the past 11 years, I've been pastor of Reformation Christian Fellowship, even as Brian just mentioned. My friendship with your pastor, Pastor Ryan, is quite new. But in the short time that we've known each other, I can tell you this. You are being shepherded, dear ones, by a wise and humble and godly shepherd. God has been exceptionally kind to you, has he not? Well, this morning we're continuing our series through the book of Ecclesiastes, and my assigned text is not Proverbs 31. I'm sorry, ladies. My assigned text instead is one of great solemnity. It's one of heaviness and seriousness. Our text this morning is all about injustice and oppression here under the sun. Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> if upon hearing the subject of our text, you're hoping that, well, at least Solomon will teach us how to avoid injustice and oppression under the sun you'll be disappointed. He doesn't do that. 
If you're hoping that Solomon, the author of Ecclesiastes, teaches us how to eliminate injustice and oppression from our society, again, you'll be disappointed. Solomon, you see, is no prosperity gospel preacher. He does not promise your best life now. Rather, in these verses, Solomon assures us that while we live here under the sun, we will see more than our fair share of injustice and oppression. And he teaches us how to face it, how to deal with it, and have hope and comfort even in the face of such things. So then let's learn from why Solomon together, shall we? Solomon will make two observations about life here under the sun in our passage. The first of them is this observation number one, and you see it in your notes. Injustice under the sun. If you've got your Bible, look at Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 16. And read with me just verse 16 for the moment. Solomon says, moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. There are two items to note here in our opening verse. First, as you no doubt have heard in previous sermons in this series, the expression, under the sun refers to life here in this sinful, fallen world of ours. The expression and synonymous expressions like under heaven or on earth are found all over the book of Ecclesiastes. So common is this expression in the book of Ecclesiastes that I titled my own series through Ecclesiastes several years ago, Wisdom for Living Under the Sun. Second, it would be a mistake for us to try to pinpoint the exact place Solomon has in mind when he says, quote, the place of justice or the place of righteousness. Some have tried to say that he's referring exclusively to the courtroom in Israel. Others have argued that he's referring to the temple Others have said that when he refers to the place of justice, he's talking about the courtroom and the place of righteousness as the temple. So they argue for both. I say they're all right. Everyone's correct. Solomon's message here in verse 16 can be summarized simply by saying this. Here under the sun, we often find wickedness. We often find injustice when we think and hope that we're going to find righteousness and justice. In the places we had hoped to find fairness and justice and good, honorable rule, we find just the opposite here under the sun. And that's true, isn't it? Even our kids know it. Parents, how many times... Has one of your children approached you to complain that something isn't fair? Mom, 
Bobby got more ice cream than me. And I want you to know, Mom, that isn't fair. Happy Mother's Day. (laughs) Parents, I'm going to go out on a limb and assume that you didn't lovingly condescend and explain to your dear child that, well, you see, little Bobby, everything really is fair here in this world. Everything's fair. It always works out that way. You just don't understand it, Bobby. Said no parent ever. I'm going to go out on a limb again and dare assume that you might have said something like this to little little Bobby. Life isn't fair, kid. Get used to it. Dear ones, we all know that all too often the innocent are condemned. Bobby doesn't get as much ice cream as Susan. The guilty go free. The cheaters prosper. Liars prevail. Years ago, my wife and I, when we were young, not quite so knowledgeable, about the world and the way that the world works. Dropped our car car off at an auto mechanic shop. I won't name the shop. It doesn't exist anymore, so I probably couldn't even remember the name. But we dropped it off at an auto mechanic shop. On the front of that store, it had a sign that said, free something with an AC, oh, free oil change with an AC check. And I says, well, I don't wanna lose money on this deal. So I turned my car in. I was getting ready to go on a road trip and I dropped my car off. And I said, I'd like the free oil change when you check my AC. So I I walked uh, next door. There was a Kentucky Fried Chicken. I had some of the Colonel's goodness while I waited for my car's oil to be changed and air conditioning to be checked. 30 minutes later, I came back to the shop to check how things were. And I expected this to be a place of justice. And fairness. But instead, my entire engine had been disassembled. And the mechanic says, oh, you just don't understand. There's, there's, uh, there's oil in your engine. And I said, there's supposed to be. And he was like, well, it's, it's places it shouldn't be. It's probably going to cost you, I don't know, $3,000 to put everything back together. And I said, so I come in for a free oil change and you're telling me that I'm going to leave here paying $3,000. And he's like, well, I mean, your car's in pieces right now. I can't guarantee that it'll work properly if you don't make the repairs that I'm suggesting. Do you see what he's doing to me? We finagled and hassled and I left paying about $1,000 that day for my free Oil change with AC check. I expected there to be justice and fairness. But here under the sun, I found what Solomon was describing, didn't I? Liars prospered. Cheaters prospered. In our own nation, injustice has prevailed for a long time while we rejoice and we do that Roe v. Wade has at last been overturned 
we grieve that while unjust, that unjust ruling was in effect, over 64 million babies were murdered between 1973 and 2017. Dear ones, injustice is what we find here under the sun. Can I get an amen? So what are we to do? How are we to cope? How are we to endure such injustice here under the sun? In answer to those questions, Solomon makes three points. The first of them is, he points us to God's promise. Read verse 17 of chapter 3 with me, please. Solomon says, I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. The promise is clear. You might not find justice here under the sun, but on the final day, justice will reign. Until that day, we join with the souls under the heavenly altar who cry out, Revelation 6.10 tells us, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? We say with Psalm 13, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? We might imagine the 64 million aborted babies joining in that cry as well. And our great comfort is knowing that on the final day, those children and every single person who's ever faced injustice of any sort here in this world will at last see justice reign as God judges every deed. On that day, the wicked will endure God's justice and wrath. Revelation says of the wicked that in Revelation 14, verses 10 and 11, they will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and they will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. And they have no rest day or night. Likewise, on that day of justice, our Lord teaches us, the saints of Christ, Matthew 13, 43, that the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. That's God's promise. Justice will come one day, on the final day that Christ returns. And having said that, we should note that when the Bible speaks to those who are suffering, it almost always addresses their suffering with eschatology. If you don't know what eschatology means, it means the study of last things or the study of final things. Why? Why does the Bible speak eschatologically whenever it addresses our suffering because our great hope dear ones isn't that somehow we'll be able to just slightly lessen the suffering that we endure here 
under the sun. That's not the believer's great hope. The believer's great hope is the final day when Christ dwells with us, when he wipes away our every tear, and he at last declares to us, Behold, I am making all things new. Revelation 21, 3 through 5. Now, having given us God's promise, Solomon's second point is this. God's purpose for allowing injustice here under the sun. Read with me verses 18 through 21. The text says, And I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so does the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beasts, for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from dust, and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. With these words, Solomon teaches us why God allows injustice to continue here under the sun. It isn't because he's trying, but he just can't do anything about it. It isn't because he'd love to do something, but he just can't. He's handicapped by man's free will or anything like that. No, not at all. God allows injustice to continue here under the sun for this purpose. To show wicked men by his sovereign testing that they are but beasts. And allowing injustice, God shows the wicked their beastly nature. God shows them that while they were created in the image of God, they're currently not looking much like their maker. Rather, they resemble more beasts not made in the Lord's image. And if they continue to live this way on the day of judgment... What advantage will they have over the beasts? Solomon's answer is that they will have no advantage. If they live like beasts, they will die like beasts and can hope for no greater eternity than a beast's eternity. Now, some read this portion of our text and argue that Solomon is eschatologically agnostic. They read verse 21 in particular and conclude that Solomon has no idea what happens to people when they die. They, they hear Solomon asking a question to which he doesn't know the answer. I don't know. Do they go up? Do they go down with the beast? Beats me. But I'd like to give you several reasons why you and I shouldn't read verse 21 that way. One reason is this. He, he just said in verse 16 that he knows man's destiny. Man will have to stand before God on the day of final judgment. He's not eschatologically agnostic, clearly. Further, he just said in verse 19 that the wicked man has no advantage over the beast in death. 
Thus, he seems to know quite a bit. He seems to have rather definitive knowledge about what happens to people and beasts when they die. Finally, in Ecclesiastes 12, verse 7, he makes it quite clear that he knows exactly what happens to people when they die. He says in Ecclesiastes 12, 7, the dust returns to the earth as it was, speaking of our mortal flesh. And the spirit returns to God who gave it. So you see, Solomon isn't eschatologically agnostic. He isn't ignorant about what happens to men and beasts when they die. That said, how should we understand then? Verse 21. It is important to note that the word weather that you see in verse 21 isn't actually in the Hebrew text. Thus, this passage could and perhaps should be translated like this. Who knows that the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth? In other words, what Solomon is asking here is this. Who among the unbelieving wicked takes time to ponder their eternal reality? Who among the wicked pauses as they should to tremble at the fact that when they die, they will have to meet their maker? God's purpose then for allowing injustice here under the sun is so that more and more unjust, wicked men and women would see their sinfulness, would know their wickedness, and they would tremble at the thought that they have to meet their maker, and they would cry out in repentance and faith to the Lord Jesus Christ, recognizing the Lord has, has allowed me to be unjust for a season of time so that I could see how beastly I am. Dear one, what if God didn't give you that time? What if he didn't love you to show you how beastly you were before you came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Aren't you glad that God allows time for wicked people formerly like us to see how beastly we were without our Savior? That's God's purpose in allowing injustice here under the sun. Friend, if you're here today and you haven't repented of your sin and trusted in Christ, then you should know this. God is patiently and mercifully allowing you to see your beastliness right now. If you don't like that the text just called you a beast, you're just a little self-unaware. Because we all were apart from the good work of our Savior Christ on our behalf. It's who we were. And he loves you enough not to leave you in that state. God has loved you enough to put you in one of these pews this morning so that you would hear the good news this morning that the Lord Jesus Christ lived a righteous life, not a beastly life, so that you might be counted righteous in him by faith. 
the Lord Jesus Christ died a sinner's death upon the cross, whereby if you would repent of your sin and trust in Jesus today, every single one of your beastly deeds would be forgiven and atoned for by his precious and unestimable, costly blood shed for you. And we invite you to, to repent of your sin and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ even today. Now, having given us God's promise and God's purpose, Solomon's third point is this. He gives us God's plan. God's plan. And that's found in verse 22. Won't you read it with me? He says, So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? So what is God's plan for us who live here under the sun in the midst of so much injustice on our worst days? Let's say if we're to draw up our own plan for dealing with the injustice here under the sun, on our worst days that plan might sound a little bit like Job's wife. She, in the face of great suffering and injustice, got to the point where she just couldn't take it anymore. And so she said to her husband, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. Oh, dear ones, God's plan is much better than that. In verse 22, we learn that God's plan isn't to despair and die. God's plan for us is that we rejoice in the work that he's given us looking forward to our, our heavenly and eternal reward in Christ. You see, the injustice around you does not have to keep you from joyfully glorifying God in what he's called you to do. In fact, even when injustice is done to you, you can rejoice in the work that you do in Christ's name. For our Lord teaches us in Matthew 5, verses 10 through 12, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. In our Lord's words there, we not only learn that we are to rejoice in the midst of much injustice, but we also learn how we are made able to rejoice in the midst of much injustice. Have you ever struggled with that, dear one? You're going through something tough and somebody quotes Philippians 4, 4 at you and you want to just punch them in their smug little face. I'm suffering, I'm suffering. And someone says, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I will say, rejoice, but I'm suffering. And instead of explaining further, they just say again, rejoice in the Lord. And with frustration, you say, how? I want to, but I, how do I do that? Right? Our Lord Jesus, in those words that we just read from Matthew 5, teaches us, we rejoice in the midst of much injustice as we and by 
meditating upon the magnificent truth that the kingdom is ours. By meditating upon the magnificent truth that one day, having served him and suffered in his name, our reward will be great in heaven. You're not going to find the means to endure injustice here under the sun by some self-help tactic, but by looking to your eternal reward. And what is that eternal reward? Is God going to give you a nice car that never needs to go to a crooked automotive repair shop? I mean, maybe. But no, that's not primarily our reward, is it? It's him in all of his glory. It is to behold the glory of the Lord undimmed by our eyes of sin for all eternity. And that's, the, that's a deeper, more profound joy than, there, than anything here under the sun. There's nothing to compare it to other than that sort of burning, bursting heart that you feel when you witness baptism and you say, there's my Lord's work. There he is. Now imagine the veil of shadow being removed from that sight and seeing not just the evidence of his work in a new regenerate soul, but the Lord himself who did the work in all of his glory. That's your reward. And that's how you endure well in justice under the sun. Well, we need to move. Because from here we move on to Solomon's second observation. And Solomon's second observation is this. Not only is there injustice here under the sun, but observation number two, there is oppression here under the sun. Read the first per, uh, portion of verse one of chapter four with me. It says, again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun and behold the tears of the oppressed. We pause. As we mentioned earlier, many of us might have hoped that Solomon would go on to say, now here are five easy steps to avoiding oppression and injustice here under the sun. Or better yet, here are five easy steps to eliminating oppression and injustice from society altogether. But Solomon doesn't offer those solutions, does he? Why? Well, there are at least three reasons. I'll list them briefly. One is this. Avoiding oppression is not the norm of the Christian life, nor is it the goal of the Christian life. Let me say that again because most of us don't believe that the way we live. Avoiding oppression, injustice, hardship, and sorrow of various kinds is not the norm in the Christian life, nor is it the goal of the Christian life. The chief end of man is not to avoid as much oppression as possible. Rather, the Westminster Catechism rightly says that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever even in the midst of much oppression. Another reason that Solomon doesn't give us strategies for overcoming oppression and injustice is this. Eliminating oppression is not the mission of the church. 
In Matthew 28, the church was given its mission. The church's mission is to make disciples of all the nations. And it does that through baptizing new converts and teaching the congregation. That's our mission. Notice the, other, the utter absence of work hard to eliminate all oppression in the mission. Now, dear ones, it's good and right to alleviate suffering when and wherever able. After all, Paul told the Galatians in Galatians 6.10, As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. Yes and amen. But ending oppression and, and helping people out of injustice isn't actually the mission of the church. Making disciples is. Another reason, the last reason I'll give you that he doesn't offer such a solution of eliminating all injustice and oppression is this. Simply because oppression is unavoidable here under the sun. He doesn't tell you how to get out of it because you can't. He doesn't tell you how to end it societally because you can't. As long as fallen sinful men suck air and live here under the sun, there will be injustice and oppression. Can we prove that biblically? Yeah, John 15, 20, our Lord said, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Expect it, that's normal. 2 Timothy 3.12, Paul teaches us saying, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. They will endure oppression. Can't avoid it. These verses show us something that Solomon already understood. Namely, that oppression and justice, they're unavoidable here under the sun. And in light of that reality, he goes on to make two points. The first of them is this. Number one, there is no comfort under the sun. Read the second half of verse one with me, please. Behold, the tears of the oppressed. And they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power. And there was no one to comfort them. So now, is Solomon saying that this world is utterly void of compassionate people? That there's not a compassionate person even in this room here this morning? No. There are certainly people who offer us a measure of comfort in the midst of our suffering. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul praises God that we comfort one another with the comfort that we ourselves are comforted by God, the comfort of Christ. In fact, if you look around this room right now and you look to your neighbors, you'll probably be able to spot a person or two or 20 who has been a great comfort to you at some point in your life. So if it's not that, what is Solomon saying? Solomon is saying that no one under the sun has the power, hear me now, has the power to comfort the oppressed by defeating their oppressors, thereby eliminating all oppression. No one here under the sun can do that. 
No one here under the sun can eliminate all oppressors. No one here under the sun can eliminate our mightiest and cruelest oppressors. And their names are sin and death. No one under the sun can do that for you. No fellow brother or sister sitting in the pews around you can be such a hero to your soul. If you want such a comforter, you have to look for someone outside the under the sun realm. Don't you, dear ones? You have to look in faith to our Lord Jesus Christ. The second point that Solomon makes here is this. Not only is there no comfort under the sun, I've got to look above the sun to Christ to find such comfort. But his second point is there is no hope. This is basically the same thing under the sun. Read the final portion of our passage, verses 2 and 3. Solomon says, And I thought the dead who are already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been born. And has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. Dear ones, let me be clear. Death is not to be wished for or hoped for. Solomon is not trying to get you all to leave here today going, well, I now have a new prayer list. It's Lord, help us die quickly. No, not at all. Solomon is not encouraging such things. Why? Because death is the enemy of God's people. Paul describes it as the last enemy to be defeated. 1 Corinthians 15, 26. Death is not our warm and affectionate friend. Death causes and, and makes us worthy of the wages, or, or rather sin makes us worthy of the wages of death. And the, can I just tell you that if death is the consequence of sin, it ain't your friend. I think we all get that, right? Yet nevertheless, when Solomon looks at death and oppression here under the sun, he says, I'm struggling not to see Death as preferable. And this is actually true for the Christian. Those who are in Christ can join Paul in knowing that in death, our spirits are in the presence of our Savior. Paul said in Philippians 1.21, to die is gain. When he weighed his potential futures, should he live and keep serving God's people in prison or, or die? He would... And, and so, uh, living, he would have fruitful ministry. Dying, he would depart and be with Christ. His conclusion when weighing those potential futures was this. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Thus, both Paul and Solomon understood that while death isn't our friend and it isn't to be wished for or hoped for, they both understood that there's no hope to be found here under the sun against the enemy of oppression. There's only one hope for the weary and heavy laden. There's only one hope for the downtrodden and the oppressed. 
And that one hope isn't found in any under-the-sun philosophy, any political party, any carnal pleasure or distraction, any app that you can download on your phone, but believe me, we're trying, aren't we? Or any self-help tech, thank you, or any self-help technique. Where, oh, where are our comfort and hope to be found? Well, dear ones, that's our final point. As we close, let's consider this. Number three and finally, our eternal comfort and hope. If not here under the sun, where is comfort and hope to be found? Isaiah 51, our Lord tells us that I, I am he who comforts you, saith the Lord. Thus in light of this, the Heidelberg Catechism offers one of the most true and heartwarming words of God's comfort. It says this, dear ones, what is your only comfort in life and in death? Answer, that I am not my own, but belong both body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Come what may. Dear ones, that's our only comfort in life and in death. Nothing else can be. Sure, there are loads of things that can temporarily lessen our experience of suffering. Some try to drown their experience in suffering in the bottle. Some try to distract themselves from the experience of suffering through various entertainments. Some try to keep so busy in life that they don't have time to notice the suffering and oppression all around them. But at best, all of those solutions are just a temporary distraction from a reality that wrecks us. If we want eternal comfort, if we want the eternal comfort of having been set free from our greatest oppressors, not just the world and its wickedness and cars, repair shops who treat you dirtily, but from our greatest oppressors, sin and death. Only our Lord can do that. Thus, likewise, our Lord is not only our only comfort, he's our only hope. To hope for your best life under the sun is a fool's hope. Dear ones in Christ, you have been born again to something so much better than life here under the sun. Peter says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused you to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To what? 
to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, oh, you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that by the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Dear ones, our eternal hope isn't found here under the sun. We're waiting for our eternal hope says Paul in Titus 2.13, waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, beloved, heed Peter's words in 1 Peter 1.13. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Oh, dear ones, don't set your heart on things here below. Please don't merely be satisfied with distracting yourself so frequently that you don't usually notice the injustice and oppression that's in your life and in the lives of those that you love. Please don't be satisfied with the distraction. Look instead to the king who conquers injustice and oppression and on the final day will say to you behold having wiped away your every tear he'll look at you and say behold I make all things new look to that and that alone can we pray oh God we confess that in reality so often we do simply content ourselves with things that distract us from injustice and oppression. If things are really horrible for us, we're just content that we got a new score on bubble pop on our iPhones. And we allow ourselves to be soothed by things that are so much cheaper than your glory with things that are so much less worthy and everlasting than our eternal reward. Please, O oh Lord, since Solomon has taught us that there is no hope and there is no comfort here under the sun, please help us to set our hearts on the only eternal comfort and hope, our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to look to him and his coming. Oh God, we pray. We pray in Christ's name.